You're listening to Five Things with Lisa Birnbach. Hi, I'm Lisa Birnbach. Welcome to Five Things That Make Life Better. Now, this is episode 134, but I just wanted to remind you there are 133 other episodes that you might want to listen to. You don't have to listen to them all at once. You can pace yourself, but you might find someone and something that interests you. You go to lisabirnbach.com slash welcome. This episode is sponsored by One Day University, where you can get the greatest hits of a liberal arts and law school and medical school education online at onedayu.com. Now, as far as today is concerned, I am trying very hard not to blame my failures or forgetfulness on Trump. I mean, I blame everything on Trump, but going forward, I am not. Ever since the inauguration of President Biden, by the way, I still get a thrill saying that, and Vice President Harris, ever since they became our president and vice president, I feel like I can look forward with optimism. Okay, this is how I feel. Now, remember if you can, before you had kids, those of you who are parents, the biggest decision you and your partner ever had was, should we have Chinese food tonight or Italian? Should we go to the movies Friday or Saturday? Well, that's kind of how I feel. I feel like this new administration allows me the freedom to not have important decisions. Like, should I find a place in another continent where I can live with my children? Or should I apply for EU citizenship or something like that? Now I can just be whatever I want to be, a writer, a podcaster, a rapper. I would be a slow rapper, I understand. Or even maybe an FBI agent. Well, I'm kidding about the FBI because, as you know, the Federal Bureau of Investigation is one of the most elite assemblages of brave and patriotic men and women who have pledged their lives to keep the country free and honest. I am patriotic. I am only bravish, but I am honest. Today's guest, Frank Figluzzi, who you know from his many appearances on TV, was an agent for 25 years at the Bureau, rising to the position of Assistant Director of the Counterintelligence Division. From reading his new book, The FBI Way, Inside the Code of Excellence, I intuited that I could never have been a candidate for the FBI in the first place. For one thing, the gun. A lot of candidates get cut from the program, by the way, when it comes to handling what they call a side piece. But before you hear Frank and me, here are my five things that make life better for now. Number one, I had some of our knives sharpened. Okay, they're not all going to be winners, people, but this made my life better because we had the worst dullest knives. My household was a mix of his and mine, and none of them are really up to the nightly cooking I do. They were fine for takeout two or three nights a week, but now it's gotten ridiculous. So finally, finally, after three years of passing the hardware store with a huge sign that says, we sharpen knives. Finally, I walked in with a bag of knives. By the way, I didn't like walking down the street with a bag of knives in particular, but I went in and in five minutes they were sharpened. I mean, why did I wait? I do this. It just drives me crazy. But anyway, the knives are not great knives to begin with. They're not carbon. They're not Japanese. They're not Ginsu. They're not chef's knives. But you know what? They are much, much better. That was an inexpensive fix. Yay. Number two, 
the Bernie memes. I didn't mention them last week because they were still proliferating and I wasn't done appreciating yet. But the Bernie in Seinfeld, the Bernie in Basic Instinct in Friends, the polar bear who ate the Bernie, left the mittens, they all still make me laugh. They're so good. And they even, even though he had nothing to do with becoming a meme, they make Bernie Sanders more likable too. So I think that's just, those are great. Number three, Dr. Anthony Fauci. He's taking care of us and he's allowed to be the leader that he needs to be. And he's being respected by the new administration and relying on science now, not alternative facts or hydroxychloroquine. So I'm thankful for him. Number four, Food 52 videos. I don't know how many of you watch Food 52 or subscribe. I think you can subscribe to their newsletters if they have newsletters. Anyway, food52.com is a wonderful site for reading about food, talking about food recipes, beautiful pictures of food bordering on pornographic. You can buy beautiful equipment from them and learn a lot about cooking. I made lunch today from a Food 52 video and... For a novice like me, they do tend to make everything look pretty easy. And for a novice like me, everything is not so easy. Now, yesterday I tried to bake a chocolate cake. It wasn't a Food 52 recipe and it came out ugly and smelling like popcorn. Baking is scary and not guaranteed to have a happy ending if I'm doing it. But those videos make me eager to get better. Number five. Charms, jewelry charms, in my case, mostly 14 karat gold charms. I had the most wonderful gold charm bracelet for a long time, and I added to it very discriminatingly, very deliberately or not. You know, I didn't just buy charms and throw them on. It was really a a process. And that bracelet disappeared more than eight years ago, and I'm still heartbroken about it. If any of you have seen it, let me know. But still, charms are a wonderful form of memento or souvenir, and they are a little manifestation of your own personal history. Or it could be, you know, a combination of what you inherited from your grandmother or your aunt or your mother, and also something you got on a trip and something signifying a a great moment in your life. I had charm bracelets made for each of my female exhibits, and I still collect gold charms, but now I just string them on a chain because I don't have my charm bracelet. Each one tells a story, a story that I enjoy remembering. And coming up next after the break, Frank Figluzzi, my first FBI assistant director. And I hope not my last. Don't go away. It's Lisa Birnbach. I am so excited to talk to Frank Figluzzi. I feel I've known him, gotten to know him over the last few years, as you have on MSNBC and on other NBC networks, talking about the FBI and everything from James Comey and 
his strange choices to what's going on right now. Frank has written a book called The FBI Way, Inside the Bureau's Code of Excellence, and we're going to talk about that. Welcome, welcome, Frank. Lisa, thanks for having me. Um, you know, we also go way, way back because the Preppy Handbook was on oh. basically in every single dorm room at my undergrad college uh, back when I was going through. No kidding. What college? That was Fairfield? It was indeed. I, I gave a talk there in the 80s. Did it involve plaid skirts and popped collars? Everything everything in my life involves plaid skirts and pop collars. Got it. So, yes, I think I would be very, very good undercover, but particularly in Nantucket, <laughs> you know, because there, no matter how bright the plaid or the poppy or the whatever yeah. polka dots, yeah. I would blend in. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and Fairfield uh, U was just behind that. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Well, it's not every day I've gotten to talk to an FBI patriot, and I have a million questions. As you decided to write the book, I'm going to say part of the raison d'etre, if you don't mind, is how to apply the code of behavior and morals and values to one's life. Is that? Am I oversimplifying that? Nope, you've, you've hit it right on the head. The bottom line and the motivation for the book is to say, hey, despite anything you, you might have heard from certain elements of society, the FBI actually performs at an incredibly high degree of excellence, especially when the stakes are the highest and the stress is the highest because they do that every day. And so our nation is under that kind of unprecedented stress right now. And my message is, I spent 25 years inside that organization Right. Not only observing and absorbing how they do the preservation of core values and succeed with excellence, but you don't have to spend 25 years inside the FBI to learn that. I distilled it down into something I call the seven C's, put it in a book called The FBI Way. The degree of excellence that you outline, including such minutiae as if you are an agent, and you take your bu car, your bureau car, there's a lot of lingo in the book, out for, I don't know, to go to the beach for the weekend. You've committed a serious infraction. I mean, there is nothing that you can do, I guess, as an FBI agent that isn't accountable to the bureau. Yeah. And this is the, the core of the book, which is you think your company, your team, your organization is all about brand and reputation. Let me tell you a few things about the FBI, which lives, sit down, son. Yeah. <laughs> the bureau, the bureau lives and dies by its brand and reputation. Right now, Lisa, across the country, FBI agents are knocking on doors, seeking cooperation of the public to do what? Prevent the next insurrection, the next act of violence, and they need help. And if a citizen has to pause for a moment because they don't trust that brand, mm -hmm. then there's a problem with our national security. So if you want to learn a little bit about protecting what matters most, your core values, the book says, let me show you how the FBI protects its core values. And you're right. There's a bunch of codes and core values that every single FBI employee is responsible for because they're held to a high degree of accountability for preserving not only the organization's core values, but the nation's core values. 
I understand that and I respect it. I have to say, after reading your book, it makes me wonder how anybody could adhere to that and why anybody would want to. Only in the sense it's very honorable, but only in the sense that it's so dangerous and it's so exacting. Yeah, I think there's very little room for error when you're talking about protecting what matters most to your family or even your nation. Look what happened to us on January 6th. And I I would assert as part of those seven C's that things went south in this nation very quickly with regard to the first C, code. I think those people people that breached the Capitol, they're, they're playing by a different code. The second C in my book is conservancy. That's the concept that preserving what matters most is a team sport. And those mm-hmm. people are playing for a different team. They're not conservators of our democracy, our, our rule of law, our constitution. And so the FBI does this under stress every day. And there's some some messages in the book that it's worth doing. Yes, it's hard. I, I agree. I tell the stories in the book that, look, the FBI is harder on itself than any mm-hmm. inspector general, any congressional committee could ever be. From day one in the Bureau, senior agents tell you the cardinal rule, don't ever embarrass the Bureau. And they ingrain the core values into everybody. And I think maybe on a national level, Lisa, we're losing our concept of core values and the concept of conservancy, meaning we think someone else is going to preserve our values. Maybe that guy in the Oval Office, maybe that elected senator, they'll handle it for us. Well, look what happens when we give that up to someone else. Okay, let's talk about patriotism, because it seems that at heart, the work done is to maintain the core values of the United States. It's, again, you take an oath on the Constitution or to protect the Constitution, as the president does. But I think that our country has screwed up the notion of patriotism. I think if these people say they're saving the country by defecating in the halls of the Capitol or by stealing Nancy Pelosi's lectern or by just breaking into the Capitol, that's not patriotism. Wearing a flag pin, that annoys me because that's so surface, so superficial. What's happened to patriotism in your view? Yeah, I like this question, even though the answer is really painful, because I think what's happened here is, unfortunately, what I've seen during my work in international terrorism and some of my work with regard to cults. Here's what I mean by that. I think we've replaced patriotism with allegiance to a person or a personality. And I, well, I, 74 million people may have done that, but not all of us. Well, but that's a, that's a sizable amount. <laughs> yeah. And, and that, that led to what happened on, on yes. January 6th, right? Yes, totally. Yeah. And so when you do that, you know, when you see more Trump flags flying than American flags that yeah. day, when you, mm-hmm. see, when you see police officers being beaten with flagpoles inside the Capitol, you realize we've lost Uh, those folks have lost their sense of true patriotism. They've been duped. They've been duped to think that they are patriots. In fact, you know, within the last 48 hours, we've heard news reports that former President Trump is considering his own party called the Patriot Party. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, once we let him get away with his first thing, which I guess was asking the president of the Ukraine to do him a favor. Once he got away with that, then he came back angrier and more determined to do it his way. And his GOP consiglieries did it for him. 
Well, this gets to another, not to shamelessly plug my book chapters, but this gets to another C, and it's the fourth C called consequences. And here's, here's what I mean by that. You're right. He got off the hook on that first impeachment in the Senate on that phone call. And now it appears, since the majority of Republicans in the Senate think that impeaching a former president is unconstitutional, that he's going to get off the hook in terms of a permanent ban from seeking future office. Mm -hmm. And so that means, you know, fourth C in the book, consequences aren't going to happen. They aren't going to happen. And if you're going to have a code and core values and live by that, and we're all going to be conservators of that code, there's got to be consequences in the form of accountability for those who go off that sheet of music. And there apparently will not be for him. Well, uh, here's a C, conk him on the head, because I am so furious. And, you know, that's why I started this podcast, actually, because I was so miserable and just every day brought a new series of crappy, another C, crappy things that Donald Trump did or his toadies did. But now I'm just furious because there is a willful, what would you call it? flouting of consequences. And I've written about this in a humorous way, but Frank, what happened to embarrassment and shame? Why isn't Lindsey Graham mortified that he's flip-flopped and lied? Why isn't Mitch McConnell mortified by what the president incited? I, I, I don't get it. Why? I mean, I'm ashamed of them. Yeah, you, I have enough shame for a lot of people, but first, we somehow don't do that anymore. First, I'm going to have to write a second book that includes additional C's of conk and crappy. But I, I want to, I want, you've hit, on, <laughs> you've hit on something really important, and it's this concept of shame. And for me, the speed with which this country, many in this country became radicalized was shocking to me. Now, I'm not, yes. I'm not claiming that this process started with the Trump administration. Clearly, there were seeds planted years ago, but this happened. The brazenness of it yeah, is yeah, certainly. Yeah. And, and so what this does come down, down to in one element is this loss of embarrassment and shame. And Trump enabled that in so many people, so many people in power to say, you know what? We don't play by any rules anymore. And so therefore, if there are no rules and the truth is subjective, then how can you ever be shamed or embarrassed by anything right. that you do? Because we don't follow any rules. We follow my rules. And by the way, I make up the rules on an hour to hour basis. <laughs> right, right. The rules could change any moment. When you were in law school, you were a summer, a very lucky, very rare summer associate or summer assistant at the FBI. Why FBI, not CIA? Oh, wow. That's, I don't think anybody's ever asked me that question. And that's a good one because I think it goes down deep into what your persona is and who those agencies look for and recruit. I tell the story early in my book of being an 11 year old kid in Connecticut and growing up in the Southern Connecticut media market, which was New York, right? And, mm -hmm. and seeing stories in the news of the FBI using their brain power to take down mob families and organized crime figures. And then I'm getting a fairly steady diet on television shows of the FBI wrapping everything up in an hour or less, including commercial. <laughs> time, right? And, and I, I go, you know, and, and then I raised in a family that really had a, a strong sense of right and wrong in the world, good and bad in the world, probably, to be honest with you, a little too black and white, right? And the, the world is very great. But that was my environment. And so at age 11, 
I wrote to the head of the FBI in Connecticut. And I yes, said, yes, I said, that's adorable, actually. Yeah, I'm an 11 year old boy. I'd like to become an FBI agent. And he wrote back. He wrote back to me and personalized yeah. the letter and signature. And so it went from there. Now, your question as to, hey, why not CIA, which, by the way, never crossed my mind, is because. Well, it's not too late. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But here's the thing. We just, we've talked an awful lot about, look, I've written a book on it. Norms, core values, code. I like the idea. Of, you know, I went to law school. I like the idea of rules to live by and laws to follow. And the agency is a different brand than that. The agency is, we have this hard and fast rule of protecting America, but the rules are are much less stringent on how you do that because we're not playing on the domestic playing field. And so they have rules, but it's a different personality that is about engaging with people, deceiving people for a living, literally living under a fake name to do mm -hmm. your job. That's a different recruitment approach and a different personality. Very fair. That's the Americans. That's not the FBI, that TV show. Yeah, it's, I mean, well, well the, right. TV, the TV show, by the way, very well done. Um, yeah. Certainly a large part of it is is that FBI agent right across the street. But you're right. If you look at the illegal operatives, the sleeper cell in the show, they're Russian, but make them American and put them in Moscow and you've got the CIA. You've got it. Right. The witness protection plan. Did you ever put anyone in it? I'm very intrigued by it. Sometimes I feel like I'm living in it because I live in a neighborhood where I don't know that many people in New York. And I sometimes think, well, I'm in the protection plan. But can you put someone in it? Well, you, you, may, you may think you're hiding in plain sight, which big cities are often the best place to do that, by the way. At least if you ever happen to be a top 10 most wanted fugitive, I would definitely go to a big city. But Because you're going to stand out with the plaid and the popped collar. If you, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you go to, yeah, Montana, yeah, yeah. You go to Montana, you're going to stick out. But yes, I... You're I, so right. I, I just have to stay on the East Coast. I, ha I have had involvement with the Witness Protection Program. It's done for, of course, the most serious threats against the highest level witnesses. Right. And it's administered by the U.S. Marshals Service. So the decisions come out of various federal law enforcement agencies like DEA or FBI or ATF. But once it's approved, the program is administered by the marshals and they handle the care and feeding and the logistics of putting you where you need to be. And even in some extreme cases, setting you up with a business you know, false names, giving you a way to live and a stipend. And it's it's serious business when that has to happen. Wow. Wow. Do you want to know, one time I was sitting in my office at the Village Voice where I worked as the undercover preppy. No, I'm kidding. In 1980, and apparently an undercover witness protected Abby Hoffman came into the room where I was and I talked to him having no idea that I was talking to Abby Hoffman, even though he looked just like Abby Hoffman. Well, again, right. Hiding in plain sight. He's right, right in front of you. Yeah. Um, the problem, of course, with this is um, much of the involvement I've had in this type of thing because my career track took me through counterintelligence, ultimately heading counterintelligence for, for the Bureau, I was more involved on the national security side of, of protection of witnesses and specifically defectors. Um, ah. And not the criminal side, but rather people who- Asylum? Yeah, well, people, Seekers? Yeah, people, people who decided to play for Team America and, uh -huh. and not their homeland or motherland. And eventually, once they were done doing their in-place work for us, 
um, had to be extracted and come here. That's serious as well, because there are, wow. I, I, I talk in the book about hit teams. Uh, this is yes. right, right out of the movie. There are hit teams that are sent to the United States by foreign governments to whack people and trying to hide that person from that. Oh, wait, is- what about your story in Atlanta about the guy who was going to be killed by his people, the yeah. Sikh? Yeah, I, that was crazy. Yeah, there's some stuff in the book that had to be cleared for publication for the very first time by, by the FBI. And that that's part of the, the neat part of having written the book, although it was months to go through the review process back and forth. Oh, but, I bet. Yeah, I include that story in a chapter on one of the C's called Credibility. And you say, well, that's interesting. What, what does a hit team in Atlanta have to do with credibility? Well, it was the first time as a very young agent that I had to, I, I felt the magnitude <laughs> of the credibility of the FBI credentials. And by that, I mean, I had to race blue light and siren to Hartsfield International Airport in Atlanta, get to the- Which on a normal Tuesday is no picnic. That's a, the traffic is terrible. Trains, planes, and automobiles once you get to the airport. And then- And then I had to get to the uh, international terminal. Then I had to find the Lufthansa gate for this flight. And I had to pull out my creds quietly with the gate agent and say, sir- this plane cannot take off. And now it's really, I mean, there are, I want to just say, I'm going to interrupt you to say there are stories embedded within the book that really are white knuckle stories. They're scary. Well, it comes back. And, And they're exciting, I guess. I guess part of, you have to admit, part of the draw is the adrenaline of one of these important missions that you are on. Yeah, there's been a great review out of the Providence, uh, Rhode Island Journal this weekend uh, that called it a really dramatic book. And, and in fact, a guy by the name of Robert De Niro was kind uh, enough to blurb the jacket of, of my book, and he keyed in on that that drama. And I couldn't have been more thrilled about a, wow. a an actor that I whose work I respect saying that uh, he found it dramatic as well. Well, so did I, Thank Bobby you. or no? Oh, there he is. Yeah. I didn't even, you know what? I was more impressed by General McCaffrey, to tell you the truth. But anyway, <laughs> that may just be me. Now, Frank, why did you retire? Well, I here's the deal. You know, you mentioned some of the white knuckle. I've talked about yeah. the high level of stress and the FBI. And also, you never saw, I mean, there were times you didn't see your family. Oh, gosh. We lost track of the number of birthdays, anniversaries, sports events for the kids, Valentine's Days never happened on time anyway, mm-hmm. and which which we jokingly call a, a day for amateurs anyway. Don't never, <laughs> never, never go out to a restaurant on Valentine's Day, but that's another that's story. That's true. Um, yeah. But yeah, and I talk about that in the conservancy chapter because conservancy demands a sacrifice. And so when I talk to young people about a career in the Bureau, often kids who watch way too much television, I tell them, let me just say something. This isn't another job. This is a vocation. It's a calling. And sometimes you may even lose your life in defense of the country. That is the ultimate conservator, the ultimate Mm -hmm. sacrifice. And I tell the stories in the book of two people Uh, close to me who lost their lives in the performance of their duties. And they actually had bureau offices named after them. And very touchingly, the bureau takes care of the family, of the surviving family, when an agent loses his or her life on the job. Frank, the FBI, like everything else that got ruined in the last four years and broken, 
the FBI now appears to be somewhat politicized. And I've seen you talk about it on television, but honestly, that was never the case. I guess you tried to explain James Comey and and his what would you say, misbegotten or misguided statements before the 2016 election. But he, in his maybe ineptitude, I don't want to put words in your mouth, sort of made the Bureau look a little political, right? Well, more than a little. And and I have to tell you, of all the topics we're covering in this interview, and I've covered now in about 100 interviews on this book tour I'm on. And this one is the best? I, I, really? This, this topic, wow. no, no. This topic is the most cringeworthy and painful. Um, um, it's not the best, it's the worst. And No, I'm the best. Oh, you're not. Oh, anyway. <laughs> well, you're certainly, oh, well. Not, you're certainly not cringeworthy and, and painful. But Thank you. Yeah, this actually may be the, the best free-flowing dialogue, but we'll talk about that later. Um, yeah. <laughs> let, 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 me tell you yes. why, let me tell you why this is so painful to every single FBI employee. Uh-huh. The, the worst thing that can happen to the FBI is that it become perceived as political or partisan. Mm-hmm. And yes, mm-hmm. yes, indeed, to in many aspects of society, People now are seeing it as this so-called deep state entity, which couldn't be farther from the truth. But you're right. I do write about James Comey, who is a man of the highest integrity and intentions. But in that very moment where he held that infamous press conference, Mm -hmm. where he said no reasonable prosecutor would ever prosecute Hillary Clinton on these emails, in that very moment, he politicized the FBI. I was watching that press conference live and my stomach got a pit in it because I knew what was going to happen. And he forgot his role as a conservator of the FBI's reputation. He forgot that he was an FBI director, not a prosecutor anymore, which he he had been for the bulk of his career. He forgot the concept of accountability, and he never thought forward to the consequences of what he was saying. And then, of course, infamously, later on- He did it again. He did it again when he had to announce reopening the case because of new emails. And then on the eve of the election, he had to do it again and say, never mind, we didn't find any new emails. In that, yeah. mo- in that moment, he handed President Trump an excuse yeah. to mm-hmm. fire him and to spend four years bashing the FBI. Most of it's on Trump, but some of it's on Comey. Mm. Was he trained? He was not trained at Quantico, as you were, right? No, Comey was never an FBI agent. So um, that's the thing. Okay, let's just, I know we, we're going to get to your five things or maybe seven things in a moment, but I, I think this is an important point in your book. You were trained as an FBI agent. They molded you in the FBI way. By the way, the motto is fidelity, bravery, integrity. And you were influenced and groomed to be the honorable, patriotic, willing to do anything that you had to, to protect the country person. That helped. You were already, let's say, characterologically that way, but this helped. James Comey was a prosecutor in New York. He ends up being, I don't know how, the director of the FBI. Do you think, because you just said it, he was a prosecutor, he forgot he wasn't a prosecutor. Do you think if he had been raised in the FBI, he would have not made that mistake? 
I, I think you've made a great observation, and I think you're right. And I again, this comes down to that notion of conservancy in your family, company, team, even the nation. Because yeah, from day one, as an FBI employee, it's just ingrained in you that you're responsible not only for protecting the nation, but there's a symbiotic relationship between this protecting the FBI and protecting the nation. Because if the FBI goes down the tubes or its brand is attacked, it can't successfully protect the nation. And so James Comey never really had that entirely ingrained in him because he was never an FBI employee until he became director. So how does that happen, by the way? Oh, well, we want so so there's only been one FBI director who had spent time as an agent. And and that guy was Louis Free. Um, uh-huh. And he was an agent. And then he left the bureau to become ultimately a judge. He had been a federal prosecutor, then he became a federal judge in New York, and then he came back to serve as director. He got it with regard to wait a minute, if we if we don't preserve the bureau's core values, the bureau can't protect the nation. And so I always like to, to tell the story with regard to Comey. If I, I was the head for, for a part of my career, I was the head of the FBI in, in Northern Ohio. I, I ran the Cleveland division. If mm-hmm. I had, if I had called a similar press conference as head of the FBI in Cleveland and said, no reasonable prosecutor would prosecute this county commissioner that we've been investigating, I would have been fired because. Right. Because why was it, it wasn't yours to say. Exactly. Exactly. Right. One of the messages in the book is if the rules apply to the lower ranking people in the organization, they better darn well apply to the head of the organization. Okay. My last question is, has this politicization and this notion that FBI is partisan, has that affected recruitment? Has the Trump administration been bad for FBI recruitment. I've got some really good news on that front, and it's really refreshing. And that is the uh, FBI folks I still talk to at headquarters tell me recruitment is strong and up. Mm -hmm. Young people are still saying, I want a part of that. I want to stand for justice and the rule of law. Sign me up for that. And that's incredibly encouraging. And there's also encouraging news that incoming President Biden now understands the importance of an apolitical FBI because he's already publicly stated he intends to honor the 10-year term of the FBI director and keep Chris Ray on. That 10-year term is designed deliberately to straddle administrations and right. not and not make that a political position subject to the whims of a new president. And how many more years does Chris Ray have? He's got about 6 years left. Oh wow. Oh yeah, of course, cuz he replaced Comey. Okay, well Frank Figluzzi, I am so glad that we had a chance to talk. You're really cool and I'm not just saying that. I oh. could be, but I'm not. <laughs> You're cool. I mean, I hope it's because protecting core values and having a code has suddenly become cool. I I hope that's the reason cuz boy, we That's why well, that's what I meant. Yeah, I, I meant I, because of your core values and that's cool and yeah. also because you go on the shows that I watch. So that makes you cool to me as well. I'm and glad. also because, you know, you and I share the same understanding of what patriotism is. Yeah, and we we need to It's sp- not performative. It's the real thing. We need to spread that news as we try to come out of what essentially has been a radicalization process for 4 years. We we need to spread that news of what patriotism really needs. Thanks for helping. Yes. Yes, thank you. Well, thank thank me for my service and I'm thanking you for yours. So, Frank, you have a list. You've given me a list and because you're a cool guy, I'm letting you have seven things that make your life better. 
you're the only person who's ever gotten seven. I feel honored. Um, and, yeah. and because back to shameless uh, plugging of the book, it's well, there's well, there's that there's seven. There are seven C's in my book that that not only have made my life better, but I assert could make everyone's life better. And, and here they are. Okay. Number, Number one is code. Number two is conservancy. Number three is clarity. Number four is consequences. Number five is compassion. Number six is credibility. Number seven is consistency. And I chose consistency as the last chapter of the book because it gives us hope as to where the nation is. If we consistently cling to the core values that got us here, rule of law, constitution, and uh, three equal branches of government, and we don't panic because we're under unprecedented stress and challenge, we will get through this just as the FBI gets through unprecedented stress and challenge every single day. Wow. Well, it has been a stressful four years, and there is tremendous optimism that this administration will reverse that, particularly since the craziest thing is that Joe Biden has nominated people who are actually qualified to do the jobs he's offered them. So Frank Figluzzi, the book is called The FBI Way. You'll see Frank all over the networks talking about his book and talking about the insurrection, but he was here on five things that make life better. If you want to pick up the book, again, it's called The FBI Way Inside the Bureau's Code of Excellence, and you can follow Frank on Twitter at FrankFigluzzi1. You've been listening to Five Things That Make Life Better with me, Lisa Birnbach. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and rate and review us wherever you listen, because each positive review helps new listeners find our show. My blog is at lisabernbach.com, where you'll find links and photos to all the things in this program. This podcast is produced in New York City by thefieldtv.com, and this podcast is sponsored by onedayu.com. My engineer is Kevin Watkins. My team is Espresso Arucci, Michael Port, Boko Haft, and Sam Haft. Until next week, wear a mask or two and act natural. Bye-bye. That was Five Things with Lisa Bernbach. New episodes every Friday, if she remembers.